Hello, vampires and slayers. This is Mixtress Ray, and you're listening to What's This Bitch Talking About? To which the answer to that question is every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer exactly 20 years after its original air date. Which means tonight we're talking about season five episode, the first episode on disc three, <laughs> entitled Listening to Fear. That probably means it's episode nine, most likely. Um, because there's usually four episodes on a disc. Yep. Sure. Yes, I still watch them on disc. On DVD disc. Okay. Digital video disc. Is that what DVD stands for? I think so. You guys, why am I still wearing my boots? Okay. <laughs> We're taking the boots off. We're going to get settled. My toes are probably going to get cold and I'm going to have to go put on some slippers. But for now, we're good. All right. I live in a, in a 115 year old house. <laughs> so it's very cold in this house in the winter. Okay. You guys, I feel a little unfocused. I'm not going to lie. Okay. Let's talk about Angel first. So the Angel episode that aired the same night as the Buffy episode. Um, I like to talk about that first because we can just get it out of the way. So the Angel episode was called The Trial. So basically what happens in this episode is Darla is... Angel's still obsessed with Darla. We get a cute little moment at the very beginning of the episode where Angel has just sort of decided to act... Um, to try to act normal again. And... Okay, sorry, I had to go pause and put on pajamas and slippers because, you know, if I'm going to put slippers on, I might as well put on my pajamas, right? It's nighttime. So it's my weekend, guys. Um, it's, I get Sunday and Monday off, so it's my weekend since it's Saturday night and I'm spending it with you guys and it's my favorite place to be. Um, let's talk, let's do like some business for a second because I just kind of want to know... Okay, yes. So after today, we don't have another episode of Buffy to talk about until December 19th. And that's the the last Buffy episode that we will be talking about all year. So as per usual, um, I, I don't, I always think that I don't want to take that big of a break from the podcast. And then I do, and it feels nice to have a break. I don't know how I'm going to feel about that this year because I assume that there's going to be, I don't even know if our family's going to be able to get together this year because, you know, pandemic. So yeah, I, I, I don't, what I'm saying basically is I'm not promising that I'm going to like have things to talk to you guys about and come back. But I mean, in either case, like both the 5th of December, which is next Saturday, and the 12th, there will be no Buffy episodes to talk about, you know, on the anniversary date. So, um, let me just take a second to promote the other things that I do in case I don't, in case I'm gone and you guys miss me, if you're listening in real time. Um, I have a YouTube channel. It is under Mixtress Ray. And, um, M-I-X-T-R-E-S-S-R-A-E. And I post like, at this point, I usually post like two or three episodes a week. Episodes? 
um, videos. <laughs> Sorry, these are episodes. Podcasts are episodes. <laughs> YouTube videos are just videos. But um, they're all pretty much tarot related. So if you're not interested in tarot, they might not interest you. But I've been... I used to do a lot of ASMR videos. So if you're interested in ASMR, like my earlier videos, if you go way back, were more the unintentional ASMR style of ASMR. Um, I've been wanting to for a while now because I got a new keyboard for my computer like months and months ago, like six months ago at this point. And I haven't done like a, I want to do an ASMR like typing video with my new keyboard because I got like a like a mechanical keyboard. So it sounds real nice when you type on it. Anyway, if you guys are interested in that, maybe I can use the time that I won't be recording Buffy podcast to do. I also want to do like an ASMR, um, tour of my animal crossing town. I haven't done that since getting the new switch game that came out this year. Um, cause I, I like to do those kinds of videos too. Anyway, um, head on over to my YouTube channel if you're interested in tarot and or unintentional ASMR, because those are really the things. Or corsets. I had a I had a moment where I was reviewing corsets. There's really not very many of those videos, but um, I do have a few of those. Um, so head over there if you want any of that weird grab bag of content. <laughs> um, and if you like listening to me talk, um, I have a radio show that airs every Friday. So I'll still be doing that um, every Friday from 7 to 10 Central Daylight Time. And um, the link is always in the show notes. Um, I think the links to like all my stuff is probably in the show notes every week or every episode. So you can find the information for that there. Um, my radio show is, you have to like tune in at the time, but I play music and then I like talk about, it's usually personal stuff. Um, I don't get like super personal, but not a lot of people listen to my radio show. So I'm because of that. And because of the fact that it's, you know, you have to tune in live to hear it. Or if you're one of my patrons, you can get the podcast versions of those episodes of of the talking segments for my radio show. Um, sorry, it's weird to explain, but I can't use the music in my podcast episodes, but I can use, um, the talking segments. So I just create podcast episodes so people, my patrons can listen to them anytime. So, um, but those, I actually, I've decided that those have an expiration date too recently. Like, because I talk about more personal stuff, I just don't like it to be there forever. So like I keep about three months worth of the podcast on my patron feed, but then I delete it if it's older than that. Anyway, so even if I am gone in this capacity, I won't really be gone. I'll still be putting up YouTube episodes, YouTube videos, whatever. I'll still be putting up, um, doing my radio show and, um, yeah, anyway, so there's that. So let's talk about the trial. So basically, um, you don't really get very much at all of Cordelia and Wesley in this episode. It's just, you know, Darla Angel drama, whole episode, just like it has been lately. 
This is a pretty good episode, though, overall. Like, I wouldn't say it's one of the best, but I'm glad I watched it. So, essentially, what happens in this episode is Angel's still obsessed with Darla. He's obsessed with finding her. Um, when last we saw her, she asked him to make her into a vampire, and he, of course, said no, and so she ran away. And so now he's trying to find her and he does find her at like a seedy motel or something. I guess she ran away from Wolfram and Hart and she's staying in a motel room by herself. Like where did he, she even get the money for that? I have no idea. And she's kind of like, we see her, she's kind of, she's kind of tortured at the moment. You know, she's like, She's looking in the mirror, she's putting on some red lipstick, and she decides it doesn't suit her. It looks great on her, but she puts on bright red lipstick. And then she's looking in the mirror, and she's like, meh, and she wipes it off. And Lindsay finds her. So Lindsay finds her before Angel does. Because he's been obsessed with her, too. Like, why is everybody obsessed with Darla? I don't know. Um, and he finds her, and he brings her back to Wolfram and Hart and they reveal to her that she's dying of a, what did they call it? I think I put it in my notes, syphilitic heart condition. So basically the same thing that she was, she was dying of syphilis whenever she was human, like 400 years ago, and she's dying of it again. And basically like it is at a level of progression that it was shortly before she died, I get, or shortly before she was turned into a vampire. So she has two, maybe three months to live and there's nothing that they can do about it. Like basically if they had caught it, like they made a joke at some point. Yeah. If, if they'd caught it, I don't know, a month and 400 years ago, then we could have fixed it, but there was nothing they could do. So hold on. I think I'm skipping ahead. Mm -hmm. Darla doesn't like red anymore. We get like a flashback where um, a vampire hunter named Holtz is hunting Darla and Angel back in like the 1700s at some point. And this will come back, the, the Holtz character. I basically just wrote down Holtz. God damn it. I really don't like that whole storyline of like, um, okay, this is a good time to mention. This is not a spoiler-free podcast. Okay. So that whole Holtz-Connor bullshit that is coming up on Angel, I am not excited about that entire plot point, which is pretty much the entirety of season. It's just like, I wish they had just done something a little different with the Angel Show. I think the Angel Show could have been successful if they had treated it like like a paranormal like a like a more horror movie style of X-Files. Like what I imagine Supernatural is probably like, but I've never seen it. <laughs> I tried to watch the very first episode of that show and I just could not with it. I just could not with it. <laughs> um, but that doesn't mean like, I'm sure a lot of people listening to this love that show. Cause a lot of people love that show, but I just never made it even through the first episode. So anyway, um, 
I wish they would have just made it kind of more of like a procedural type show. Like I think like a noir procedural with vampire detective, you know, I feel like if they had stuck to that formula and kind of not tried to get so serious with it, because when they try to get serious with Angel, when they bring in like, Angel has a son, you know, Cordelia has sex with Angel's son, what? Like, things just go so fucking off the rails in seasons three and four of Angel that like, I can't with it. This season's pretty good. So far. Like, the the Darla stuff is annoying, but, like, at least the episodes are well done. I don't know. I really shouldn't even say what I'm saying right now, because I have never paid a lot of attention to Angel. Like, I've watched it, but anyway. I've never watched it critically, so, like, I might be eating my words. Maybe season three is really good. I don't know. Anyway. So Holtz, whatever. So I think the point of this was just to sprinkle the Holtz name in because it will come up again later. And also to show you that Darla really didn't give a shit about Angel, even whenever they were spending 150 years together as lavas, as vampire lavas, because she left him. They were like under siege from this vampire hunter in this like stable that they decided to stay in in the middle of the night or some shit. And she just leaves him on horseback because like the horse is too tired to carry both of them or some shit. And so she just gets on the horse and she's like, I hope you don't die here. Bye. And then at some, I mean, this is in the 1700s. So obviously they get back together anyway. I think this is like kind of the beginning of their relationship. Um, but whatever. Anyway, so she was willing, she was not willing to fight with him and like stay together with him in that moment, which was meant to set up the whole thing later. So, okay. So she finds out that she's dying of syphilis again. So she, you know, I think she, at the beginning of the episode when she's staying in the motel or whatever, I think we're meant to think that she's kind of taking some time to really think about like, what does it mean that I'm human now? You know, whatever, whatever. She's actually trying to figure out who she is now. And maybe she's thinking about integrating the soul a little bit. I don't know. She seems to be like a little bit more open to change than she was when we last saw her. But once she finds out that she's dying of syphilis again, she starts going out to like vampire dive bars and stuff, trying to get someone to make her into a vampire, which the whole time I'm thinking, why doesn't Wolfram and Hart just like get someone like one of their vampire clients or whatever to turn her into a vampire real quick? Like they have the connections. But then I realized this is all part of their plan. They were going to wait until like Darla's really tortured by her soul before they told her that she's dying. They were waiting for that. And they were going to, they were hoping that it's possible that they were hoping that Angel would cave and go ahead and turn her into a vampire. But if he doesn't do that, then at least he'll be super tortured. And then they can bring in the big guns, which is Drusilla. So 
when Angel finds out when, so Angel stops Darla from like a vampire was about to like actually turn her and Angel was following her or some shit. Cause that's what he does. He lurks. And so he killed the vampire and stopped the vampire from turning her into one. And then he, she tells him she's dying and he says he doesn't believe it. He goes and breaks into Lindsay's house and Lindsay's fine with it. Lindsay invites him in. Like he breaks down the door, which I call bullshit on this. If you, if a vampire cannot enter your home, how can a vampire kick your door down? Like that doesn't work. If he can't cross the threshold, then he can't kick the door down. Sorry. That's just me. But he kicks his door down and, and Lindsay's like, come in. And he's all drinking and depressed because he's in love with Darla. Whatever. Like, I don't buy this. Everybody just being in love with Darla for no reason. Like they didn't give us enough like Lindsay and Darla moments for us to really believe that he'd be this into her. Like, I don't know, maybe because I didn't watch the first few episodes of the season. Did I miss some Darla and Lindsay time? I guess, I guess I probably did. Anyway, so he shows, Lindsay shows Angel a bunch of like doctor reports. He's like, you want a second opinion? You want a third? How about a 10th? And you know, apparently he got a whole bunch of backup opinions and they all say she's dying of syphilis. She's going to die. And, um, so Angel decides to, he takes Darla to the karaoke bar and she sings like a real breathy, loungy tune. And she has a gorgeous voice and actually kind of sounds like it may not be Julie Ben singing, but they did a good job with like a voice match if it's not her. Um, I didn't recognize the song, but it was real sad and loungy and, um, Lauren listened and he said, yeah, I don't think you can save her. I don't think we can save this one. I think it's hopeless. Um, you know, cause he can read people's, he can read people's futures whenever they sing. And Angel doesn't accept that, of course. And so Lauren says, okay, well go to this address and you have to take a leap of faith or something. And it's like an empty swimming pool. And so Angel has to jump into the empty swimming pool and it's actually a portal. And then he has to do the whole reason why the episode is called the trial is because he has to go through like some crazy trials that no one's ever passed before, you know, that kind of shit, the same kind of shit that we'll see at the end of season six with Spike, the trials that he has to go through to get his soul back. It's the same kind of deal. It's a different scenario, but same kind of deal. And basically they're bargaining for Darla's life. So like this Butler dude shows up, it's like Alfred looking motherfucker. <laughs> and he's like, okay, well, Darla's life is in the balance. If you succeed at these trials, which no one ever has before, then, um, you will, it's, you will gain Darla's life or whatever. So he gets through the first two trials and, um, the very last trial. Okay. So if you guys care, the first trial is he just has to fight this demon guy that keeps coming back to life. When he cuts him in half, he just pulls himself back together again. But then, um, 
Angel figured out, okay, I'll cut them in half, and then I'll use the chains that are in this room to chain up the sep- the two different halves of the demon and tra- chain them on separate ends of the dungeon or some shit, and then they can't get back together. Then he goes to the second trial. The second trial is a crosswalk, like a literal hallway with crosses everywhere. The angel has to run across this hallway with crosses and reach into this giant vat of holy water to get a key. And the key opens the door to the third trial. And then in the third trial, um, angel is, oh, by the way, at the very beginning of all of this, angel surprise, surprise, had to take his shirt off. He just had to. So all of these trials that he's fighting, he's doing shirtless, <laughs> of course. Oh, any excuse to get David Boreanaz to take his shirt off, like I swear. Um, so he does the, the third trial, he's like tied up and there's like a whole bunch of stakes hovering over him. And basically the butler guy comes back and he says that this, the last trial is a life for a life. You have to be willing to give your life up to restore Darla's health and her life, a life for a life. And of course he does so without question. And, and then because he was willing to do it, that's all that mattered. So he didn't get killed, but, um, and the guy tried to talk him out of it. The out of it, the butler guy was like, was like, um, don't you think that the world is better with you in it? Can you say the same for Darla? And I'm thinking, no, you really can't. Like, I think it would have been understandable for him to not sacrifice himself to save Darla, but that's not the kind of guy that Angel is. So I understand why he didn't make that decision, but still, I don't know. I feel like Angel probably would have done this for almost anyone, so I guess it makes sense, but anyway, so then the butler guy is like, okay, well, come here, Darla, let's do this, and he puts his hands on her head, like Vulcan mind meld, kind of, and (laughs) not really, but he's just like to restore her health or whatever, and then he goes... Um, you didn't tell me that she's already been brought back by supernatural means. This is her second chance. I can't give her another. She's already living her second chance. So I thought that was kind of well done. You know, like, even the trial stuff, the like, nobody's ever gotten past the first trial thing. Like, it it did actually seem kind of hard. The trials did seem kind of, I mean, with the exception of the crosswalk, like, that didn't seem that unbelievable to me, but it made sense, you know. Anyway, so Angel takes her back to her motel room or whatever, and she's, because she, it was a significant moment for her. They while she was there, she was there during the entire trial situation, but she wasn't in the room with him, but she asked the butler guy, she's, she's like, I, I want to see what he's going through. I want to see what's happening. And, um, cause they were in like a waiting room or something. And he said, okay, you asked for it. And he like touches her head and the entire time all this shit is happening. He, she is kind of like inside his, I think we're supposed to think that she's inside his 
brain and she can see and feel everything that he's seeing and feeling. So she kind of tells him afterwards, like, I know, I know what you go through now or something like that. And she decides that she's ready to die the right way, the way that she was supposed to 400 years ago. <laughs> like she decides she wants to do that. And Angel tells her that she'll never have to be alone again. He's going to stay by her side the entire time. <laughs> Watch her wither and die, I guess. Um, and she seems okay with that. She's going to accept that fate. So like, basically Darla has decided to be a human and this is her atonement. But as soon as that decision is made, I'm not even looking at my notes. <laughs> Apparently this episode actually had an effect on me. As soon as that decision is made, slow motion, a couple of goons and Drusilla come in. So first of all, I call bullshit on the fact that like Angel just got through this like su superhuman trial where he was able to defeat all of these monsters, whatever, to save Darla. But a couple of like humans hired by Wolfram and Hart, a couple of bodyguard types hired by Wolfram and Hart can hold him down while this happens. First of all, it was a super, super badass scene. I'm surprised I didn't rewind it and watch it like three times because I love a good villain entrance. And this was great. So Drusilla just walks in. She walks right past Angel, doesn't even look at him. And she goes immediately for Darla and she turns her into a vampire. Right in front of like the goon guys are holding Angel back. And he has to watch the whole thing. Right after she made the decision to just like go ahead and live out her human life and let it happen. So now we get to have Drusilla and Darla. <laughs> uh, Darla's not really one of my favorite vampires, but Drusilla is. And they're going to be fun together. They're going to like, you know, set some things on fire. I think literally there's going to be some good times and we're going to get to see it. Some villain hijinks. <laughs> it's going to be like Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy. <laughs> not really, but kind of. So I'm excited about that. Anything else in my notes for blah, blah, blah. You're a big hunk of hero sandwich. That's something that Lauren says to Angel at the karaoke bar. Isn't the world better with you in it? Yeah, I mean, I didn't really even need notes since I just watched it. Okay, so let's talk about Buffy. The episode is called Listening to Fear. Okay. Um, oh, I didn't even read the description of the Angel episode in the episode guide by Nikki Stafford. That's okay. Oh, um, something that was pointed out in the episode guide for from Nikki Stafford for Angel. She said... What, what, how did she word it? As anyone would expect, no, wait, this episode is important for the resonance it will have in later seasons. Not only is Holtz mentioned, but by the end of the trial, Angel has earned a life and it's not given to Darla. We'll see what that life will be in season three. 
So I'm not totally sure what that's referring to. Is that Connor? I don't know. I don't remember this reference to at this moment, he earned a life, but it wasn't able to be given to Darla. So he will get to like cash in on that life at some point. Um, I don't remember what that is. So I'm kind of excited about that coming up again. Okay. Nikki Stafford's episode guide for listening to fear. Buffy episode. What does she say is the description for this episode? A demon from outer space lands in Sunnydale, preying on mental patients. Okay. So first of all, mental patients, I feel like that is not a term that I would like to use. However, I don't know what term to use instead. Um, I'm not sure what would be like the best, like the best, the best term. Like I'm going to say mentally unwell, um, because this is not just a scenario of someone that has developmental disabilities. You know, this isn't like a person with down syndrome, somebody who is, this is someone who has been, I don't want to use the wrong language here. Someone that has been fully functioning, mentally stable adult, but lost some of the capacity in their brain. So they are now mentally unwell compared to how they used to be. Um, I hope that's okay. Like that feels like I might be not being entirely politically correct, which I do want to be. That is important to me to like be sensitive, to use sensitive terms, I guess is a better way to even say politically correct is just so like politically charged, you know what I mean? But anyway, I do want to like be respectful of that. I'm going to say mentally unwell um, when we're talking about because glory eats people's minds and they're not okay afterwards. So I'm going to call them mentally unwell. How about that? Hopefully that's okay. Let me know if you guys know of a better term that I can use if that doesn't seem um, sensitive. Okay. Um, listening to fear. So the first scene is just like, uh, we're in the hospital with Joyce, Buffy and Dawn. Um, this whole episode is really about Joyce's illness. And, um, then we get to Buffy like says to her mom, cause she says something like, I know you need to patrol. You don't need to stay here. And Buffy says that, you know, Riley and the gang are going to patrol for her tonight. And then we cut to Giles, Xander, and Willow are patrolling and Riley didn't show. So there's that Riley didn't show. We get to see, it's kind of fun because like they're all kind of bumbling around and it's kind of fun when you get to see that because you don't get to see that very often. You don't get to see them fighting vampires very often. And, um, you see Willow stake 
two vampires. Not one, but two. It was pretty cool that, like, she just saved their asses, and it was pretty cool. And there was not a single, like, emasculation joke at all. And because Willow saved Giles and Xander, and they were both being pretty bumbling. But there was, there was no, nothing, nothing about, like, it, I don't know, it just, it, it's the absence of that in a scenario like this is actually kind of progressive for the year 2000, you know? Okay. Sorry, I had to, I had to take a pause to take my bra off. <laughs> Still wear my work bra why? Why did I go put pajama pants on, but I didn't take the bra off? Like, had to finish the story. Okay, guys. I'm free now. My boobs are free, and I'm ready to talk about Buffy. <laughs> Drinking ginger ale. Okay. I got four candles. Let's do this. Um, as you can hear, I do not have my microphone recorder on the tripod tonight like I did last week so I'm moving around in my chair too much. Please let me know if the squeaking of my chair bothers you. No one has ever told me that it does so I'm gonna operate as if it's fine. Okay let's let's go. Um, So Riley stood them up and we get immediately after the scene where um, Willow has just killed two vampires and they're kind of walking away from the cemetery after their patrol. We cut to what's Riley doing right now? He's getting sucked off from the arm by a vampire. And he looks like he's, he doesn't look like he's having fun. So I think they're trying to make a drug reference and maybe Mark Blucas didn't really get that note and he wasn't acting in the way that he should be acting right now because we're supposed to think that he's he's forgetting about plans that he's made with people and not showing up so he's distracted and he's seeking pleasure elsewhere um but he doesn't look like he's having a good time so i'm not sure if he's supposed to look like he's having a good time but he looks like he looks very self-loathing and he's just like in some like hovel, some vampire hovel or something. And a vampire is literally drinking blood from the part of your arm that you would shoot up in, you know? Um, weird. I mean, the, I don't know. I mean, I see kind of what they're trying to do here. They're trying to make a parallel between, you know, getting lost in drug use when you're not getting what you need out of a relationship. Like I get that on the surface, but I don't, I just don't think it was executed well. I don't see, I don't see this as being like, as far as like what we know about Riley's character, this being something that he would choose to do. And I know he explains himself later when he gets caught as like, I wanted to know what it was like, why vampires are, are so or such a draw for you, Buffy. And then I kind of got lost in it or something. I mean, the explanation sounds right. The idea of this as a plot point sounds right, but something feels off about it. Maybe it's Mark Blucas's acting. 
I don't know. And I'm sure he's a good actor now, but I know this is like his first job. So like he wasn't super great at it yet. I don't think, or he just wasn't bringing the emotional depth or he and Sarah Michelle Gellar just didn't have great chemistry. I don't know what it was, but like, even though I'm always defending Riley as a character, he still has zero chemistry with Buffy. And like, even when they were super into each other, it didn't really work. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Anyway, so he's getting sucked off by a vampire and next scene we see Willow comes to visit um, Joyce at the hospital and she brings cheesy, terrible gifts for everyone. It's bad. And this is the first indication we see of Joyce is the tumor in her brain is causing her to say weird things. So, um, she starts saying, she says something strange while Willow's there and Willow sees it. And then you get to see a moment out in the, out in the hallway of a mentally unwell person is leaving to go home with his family. And he says something to Dawn that is super poignant. I never know how to say that. Poignant, poignant, poignant. How are you supposed to pronounce that word? I don't know. Anyway, um, and he like comes up to Dawn and he's like, there's no data. There's no pictures on this one and says some shit to Dawn and, um, she's very disturbed by it. And Buffy's like, it's fine. It's, it's okay. He's just, he's not okay right now or whatever, you know? And Ben comes up and talks to them and he's, and Buffy's like, are you sure he should go home? And Ben's like, yeah, I know. Um, we're just so overrun right now with mentally unwell patients that the ones that have families are getting sent home because we don't have any room for them in the hospital. So that's super heartbreaking, but like, um, which how is <sighs> anyway, sorry, that's just me being nitpicky, but like, you know, mentally unwell patients would not be in the same like area of the hospital as people with brain tumors, would they? Like those, those situations wouldn't really be even necessarily be in a regular hospital. They would be in sort of like a psychiatric hospital or psych psychiatric wing of a hospital or something like that's a different scenario. You know, that's anyway, whatever. So Ben complains that like, he doesn't think that they should be sent home, but there's nothing that they can do because they don't have enough room for them and blah, blah, blah. And so we see Ben's frustration at this situation that'll come up later. Okay. Um, where are we in my notes? Oh, I just kind of noticed when they were talking in the hallway after the situation happened, the vending machine in the background, it looked like it was the same vending machine that we first saw in the high school. And then we later saw in the like dorm, somewhere in the dorm building. I think it was like the vending machine, you know, the vending machine that Tara and Willow moved with their magic. You know what I'm saying? It was that same vending machine that just said cold drinks, you know, um, as the one that was in, uh, the high school. It's just nice to see that vending machine again. You know what I'm saying? A little throwback. I really, the best scene of the whole episode, I really, really love the 
scene where Willow and Tara, I mean, I know it's only there so that we can see that a meteor has crashed to Earth, but I really love the scene with Willow and Tara, like, laying on a blanket. Where the fuck are they, by the way? I don't know. That skylight thing has been in other episodes for sure. <laughs> they're reusing a set for sure, but they don't explain where they are. I mean, I guess they're just supposed to be at the dorms or something on the roof. I don't know. Romantic evening? I don't know. But they're just like laying on a sleeping bag, looking up at the stars, and Tara's explaining to Willow um, that she made up her own names for the constellations when she was a kid, and she starts explaining the names of the constellations, like um, short man looking uncomfortable, <laughs> I think was one of them, and little pile o' crackers was one of them. Uh, it was just a super sweet little moment, and I could have just like had a whole episode of just like, I just wanted to be there with Tara. I wanted Tara to like, talk to me about the stars until I fall asleep, you know? <laughs> I want that moment for myself. But anyway, and then we see the meteor. And this is actually, you know, I dreaded watching this episode for some reason, because all I remembered was like, Joyce being very mentally unwell and like talking to the Queller demon and the Queller demon being super gross. But I actually really liked this episode watching it this time. Like the whole like sort of X-Files, you know, killer snot monster from outer space. We get to hear Giles say that at one point. Um, aspect of it, the fact that they went, they went to the university library, the astronomy section, because, you know, Giles doesn't have a bunch of books about the sky. They didn't know where to start when they were researching. So that was kind of a cool little plot twist to put them in a library again. It was great to see them in a library again. We saw Willow at a computer doing research and they were in a library studying. It was just like, there were lots of just nice little throwbacks in this episode, you know? We saw the vending machine. We saw that weird little skylight thing. The Buffy's crashed through at least twice. <laughs> I guess it was in like the first episode of season four that she could crash through a skylight to get into where the vampires, but that was like an abandoned building. So why would the skylight have been rebuilt? Anyway, whatever. It doesn't matter. There were nice throwbacks in this episode. All I'm saying. Um, I even really kind of enjoyed the horror movie aspect once they got, um, once they got Joyce home and they had to turn the lights off because the light was hurting her eyes. Um, so the house was just super dark and it was horror movie and the Coiler Demon was there with them. And Joyce was like, I, I think that Christine Sutherland did a great job actually at like this sort of like horror movie out of your mind aspect of her character for this episode. Um, I really liked the scene where like the Queller demons on the ceiling and she's talking to it. Um, I just really liked it the way that she was looking at the, like, I, no one told me that there would be tennis and like, stop looking at me. And like, I don't just the way that that played out was for some reason I found it charming. I don't, why did I find it charming? I'm not supposed to find it charming, but I did. Um, anyway. Let's see, where are we? Little Pile of Crackers, Meteor. So everybody, they call, everybody goes to the Meteor site, um, except for Buffy. So it's 
um, and they call Riley and he actually comes because this is exciting to him. So um, it's Riley, Giles, Anya, Xander, Willow, and Tara. So they're all there and they're all looking at this meteor and they see that like whatever it was in was hollow. And there's just some like great acting in these moments. Like Anya is just, she's everything. Um, <laughs> she's, they say something about like, okay, it's hollow, which means something came out and slithered away. And somebody says, we don't know that it slithered. And Anya's like, yes, it, it hopped about like a fluffy lamb. <laughs> And then later in the scene, she's like, because the space lamb got him. <laughs> they find the mentally unwell guy. So they find the meteor. It's hollow. So they decided that like something crashed and slithered out. And then they start exploring the surroundings and they find the mentally unwell guy has been attacked. We actually saw it happen earlier, but they find him and... um. Willow recognizes him from the hospital because she was there and she's like, no, I know this guy. So this had to have happened like hours later, you know, he's wearing the same outfit even. Um, anyway, so they find him. So they figure out that whatever this thing is that crashed to earth in the meteor broke out, slithered away <laughs> and killed this guy. Um, and so they decide to go do research. And that's when they end up at the astronomy library in the university. And Riley tells them that he's not good at research, so they can go on ahead. He's going to look around some more. And as soon as they leave, he calls the initiative guys. So I'm not sure exactly how to feel about this. I think we're supposed to see this as a betrayal. But, I mean, the part that is a betrayal is that he didn't let them in on that. Um, I can understand why he didn't, because if Buffy were there, she would have shut him down, but Buffy isn't there. It's possible that Riley could have talked to them into bringing the initiative in on this. I mean, I guess they're not called the initiative anymore, but you guys know what I'm talking about. Um, it makes sense. They have more experience with this kind of stuff. It's, it's just kind of... I had this thought while watching it that it seemed like a little bit of a missed opportunity in general that Buffy didn't didn't ultimately become a show that embraced some of the the more X-file type aspects of I guess I said the same thing about Angel earlier too like both Angel and Buffy it would be nice if those shows embraced a little bit more science. Like I get this is a mystical world and they, but they're drawing a very, a very like definitive line between the mystical and science. And that was the entire theme of season four was that science cannot mix with the mystical. Like Buffy just completely shuts down consulting anyone in a science field to help her with anything. You know, science is not welcome here is kind of the idea in the Buffy verse. And I don't know. I just, I enjoyed the vibe of like Riley calling his guys and he has all this information and like, they're asking him questions. He's like gamma radiation and protein alkaloids. And like, he's just saying all this sciencey shit and it's, 
it's sad that the science sciencey shit has no place in Buffy. Like, it doesn't need to be like militaristic initiative crap like it was last season, but like every once in a while you could consult some X-Files type people, right? Don't you think? Like I would like to see an X-Files slash Buffy universe. I don't know. I'm just saying. So Riley calls his initiative guys. They show up on a helicopter and he immediately has a purpose again, you know? Um, he's really taking charge of the situation and he's, you know, you can tell that he feels needed, that he feels useful, but he knows to keep it a secret. So this is unfortunate, but like the, the breakup between him and Buffy, like it has to happen. It's not unfortunate that's going to happen. I just mean it's unfortunate how this is all playing out. But it totally makes sense from the perspective of Riley's character. He has been effectively useless to Buffy because she will not accept the kind of help that he can give her. In any way, in the sciencey way, in the love way, Buffy cannot accept love, you know? Anyway. <laughs> Okay, so then we get the Queller Demon is at the hospital and makes its way to the hospital. And we see sort of a room with people like strapped to beds because they're all mentally unwell and a nurse that's being kind of negligent. Or is she really being negligent like they're... They're saying a lot of things that, you know, don't reflect reality. So she's probably used to needing to ignore them to a certain extent in order to do her job. They, I feel like they were painting her as being negligent, but I can understand this scenario happening if you kind of need to, I don't know, but you do need to keep an eye on them. So yeah, she was being negligent. Okay. Yeah, she was. So the Queller Demon, like, kills all the, the mentally unwell people, patients, in the room. And I, I really, I think it's the quote of the episode. Um, whenever she, she comes to, like, cover up a guy that looked like he was cold or something, she kind of, like, tucks him in or something before she leaves the room. And as she's leaving the room, he says, like, don't you leave. Don't you be that kind of barn owl. I just really liked that. Don't you be that kind of barn owl. So that's the quote of the episode right there. Um, so the Queller Demon is just like this, like, I don't know, like insect looking creature that makes all these high pitched, like comical squealing sounds and just like snots all over their faces and then they choke on them and die, I guess, because they don't get eaten. The Queller Demon doesn't eat them. It just like snots on them and they choke on it or something. I don't know. It's weird. <laughs> anyway. Um, okay. So then we get the scene where Buffy convinces the doctor, like, can, can I just take mom home? Like, cause it, her like brain surgery is scheduled for like a couple days from then and she's just going crazy in there. She can't take it. She wants to 
get out. So Buffy's like, just, just tell me what I need to do to take care of her for the next couple of days so she can rest at home where she feels safe and comfortable. And so they release her from the hospital and she takes her home. And we get the killer snot monster from outer space. <laughs> that should really be the, the quote, but there was just a lot of good moments in this episode, you know, fluffy space lamb, killer snot monster from outer space. Don't you be that kind of barn owl. You know, there's just all kinds of good stuff in this episode. <laughs> um, there's a point when Joyce is at home, she looks at Dawn's kind of like stroking her head or something, or just like being sweet to her. Try, they're trying to tuck her in and give her a sedative and get her to calm down so she can go to sleep. And she looks at Dawn and she's like, who are you? What are you doing here? You're just a thing. You know, she starts saying the kind of stuff to her that Dawn has now heard from that guy at the magic box and um, the guy at the hospital earlier in this episode and now Joyce. So Dawn gets upset. She goes to her room, slams the door. Buffy goes after her and she's actually like, she says some really sweet stuff to Dawn. Like, in a scenario where, like, you're just an actual little sister, you're not, you know, the key, um, it's actually nice stuff that she says. She, she says to Dawn, you know, I think sometimes when there's something wrong, um, in, in people's heads when there's something wrong, um, they think that nothing is real except for them. And I don't, just the way that she explained it was, was sweet. It was just, it was comforting and sweet. And she just tells her, you know, if somebody says something like that to you, don't listen. Um, because Dawn actually asks Buffy, like, I realize that Buffy's, you know, just covering for the fact that she knows exactly why people are saying this to Dawn and she's keeping it from her. Um, but Dawn, in this moment, she opens up to Buffy. It's like, you mean like that guy in the hospital? And Dawn's like, not just him. And she tells her about that moment at the magic box. She's like, people just keep saying this weird kind of stuff to me. And so I don't know how I feel about like, in one sense, it's very comforting what she says to Dawn just to make her feel better in the moment. Like it's a very life thing. Um, but I don't know how I feel about that in the grand scheme of things because like I do feel like there's a point which we haven't gotten to yet but there's a point where Buffy needs to tell Dawn who she is and she doesn't and Dawn has to find out the hard way and that's not okay and that sets up some of the reasons why Dawn gets into a lot of trouble in season six you know like Anyway, we'll get there. I, I don't need to get ahead of myself here, but okay, where are we? Um, mm -mm. Okay, Willow, okay, so they figure out when they're at the astronomy library, they figure out that what they're looking for is a queller demon. They're not calling Buffy in on any of this because they, you know, they keep 
making the argument. She's, she's got to take care of her mom right now. She's got to take care of her mom right now. We can't, we can't, we can't bother her with this stuff. And Willow keeps saying, I want to call Buffy. Can we call Buffy? We can't call Buffy. Okay. Um, okay. We can't call Buffy. So Buffy does, doesn't have a warning for the fact that the Queller demon is in her motherfucking house, but Willow does call Riley and Riley, you know, to his credit, even though he's keeping the fact that he called in his initiative friends, he doesn't tell, he keeps that from Willow, but at least he shares some information with her and she shares information with him because they found out what it is and see this is just an example of like if these two sides were working with each other they could help each other out you know so at least Riley like collaborates a little bit and Willow mentions like Buffy took Joyce home she was released today and she's been acting off so this Queller demon might be attracted to her so at least she shared that bit of information and Riley was able to put it together when they couldn't find the Queller demon at the hospital that that it probably rode home with them like he puts it together that like the trail of the Queller demon that they were able to track with their equipment stopped at the front door of the hospital and Riley's like oh because it attached to a car okay how did Joyce drive them home because the doctor made it sound like, take your daughters home now, Joyce. And we know Buffy can't really drive. So you assume that Joyce drove, but she's pretty out of it right now. So I don't know. Anyway, neither here nor there. We don't get to see how they got home, but they did get home. <laughs> okay, where are we? Willow calls Riley. Oh, um, when the Queller Demon does, so like we get that whole scene with the Queller Demon on the ceiling and Joyce is talking to the demon and then it descends upon her and does its snot thing. So it's got snot all over her face and she's kind of screaming and Dawn is, her bedroom's like right there. And so she's been kind of like putting a pillow over her head because Joyce is kind of talking, talking a little nuts, you know? And so she's trying to shut it out, drown it out. But she at least knows enough to know the difference between her mom, you know, being out of it and her mom actually being in danger. She can tell the difference. So she comes into the room to check on her. And when she does, this whole time, I should probably mention, Buffy is downstairs in the kitchen with the lights off doing the dishes. And she's playing, it's like some sort of copyright free, like Mexican polka type music. <laughs> and she's just losing it. She's just crying. She's just playing this loud, obnoxious music, doing the dishes and crying. And I've always, this, this is a scene that I actually think of often, just this sort of very mundane, like the juxtaposition of like doing the dishes and totally losing it to the soundtrack of obnoxiously happy music. Like that is just really, really resonant scene for me that kind of like, you know, the first time I saw this scene was before anything super upsetting had ever really happened to me in my life. Not that many super upsetting things have happened to me in my life. Knock on table, um, knock on, Hey, I have actual wood, knock on wood, but 
I get, I get, my mom's really instilled in me that like when you say something that you don't want to come true, you have to knock on something. And my philosophy has always been as long as you call what you're knocking on, it doesn't have to be wood. You just have to call it like knock on steering wheel. You know what I'm saying? Okay. So knock on plastic tarot table. Okay. Um, where are we? Oh, so her mom, she starts screaming. Joyce starts screaming and Dawn comes into the room because she's right there in the room next to her. But Buffy's downstairs with the loud music crying. So she doesn't hear what's happening upstairs. Dawn goes in there and she really like springs to action quickly. I was like impressed by this moment. She just like immediately starts, um, just she's very brave she just like gets in there and she starts fighting this queller demon and she like scares it off or something and she shuts the door and buffy still hasn't heard anything so at one point she opens the door long enough to scream buffy really loud which michelle trachtenberg can definitely scream she's really they really like putting michelle trachtenberg in these like horror situations like um, we'll see it again. And we've seen it a couple times already, like probably just because she's, she's a scream queen. Like, I wonder if she's ever been in like, if she's ever been like the final girl in a horror movie. Like, I don't know if she has, if she hasn't missed opportunity. I need to look into that actually. Anyway. Um, so she just jumps in, she saves her mom and she screams Buffy real loud down the stairs and Buffy hears and she comes up and she kills the Queller demon, like with no prior knowledge of anything that's going on. Um, this demon isn't, isn't super formidable or anything. Like it's used to attacking and killing people that aren't entirely well and can't defend themselves. So it's not really equipped for a slayer, you know? It's not that scary. So she kills it. Oh, well, wait. Spike shows up. Spike shows up while she has it downstairs in the kitchen or something. Because she fell down the stairs with it and she's like fighting it. And Spike shows up. I think we're supposed to think that he was in the basement. Again, super fucking creepy. Like he was just in their house for how long? And he's just like, plays it off. Like, well, you got stuck junk in your basement. I was scavenging, scavenging or something like that. But he's like, you were stealing. Like at this point, wouldn't Buffy. Okay. So she didn't know that he like stole her panties in the last episode. She doesn't know about that. But at this point, don't you think she would go ahead and revoke her invitation to Spike to come into her house whenever the fuck? Because really, I, I mean, she's, I guess she's got so many other things on her mind right now. But anyway, so he shows up and he kind of helps her fight. Basically, he throws her a knife and then he helps her up after she's killed the demon. I think that's all he really does. But, you know, it's it's a collaborative thing. Like, he reaches out to help her up, and she just takes his hand. And as soon as that happens, Riley just, like, marches in with all of his initiative guys. And he's too late 
to do anything. She's already killed the demon. Like the threat is over. And Riley's like starts to ask her if she's okay or something. And she's just like looking at him really confused. Like she doesn't even have it in her to like yell at him or anything, <laughs> you know, he just shows up with all his initiative guys, which of course she wants nothing to do with. And she just like looks at him incredulously for like half a second. And then she walks right past him. She doesn't even say a word to him. This entire episode, they're only together that one moment where he bursts into the door with his, with his initiative guys. And she just looks past him with the incredulous look on her face. That's it. That's the only time they're together this entire episode. And he doesn't even try this entire episode. He didn't try to go see her at the hospital, to go see Joyce, to check in with her. Nothing. He is done even trying to connect with Buffy at this point, which is sad. So sad. But anyway, so she just looks past him. She, she goes immediately up the stairs and she, you know, tells her mom and Dawn that like she killed the demon. It's gone. And then they're just hugging and that's it really, isn't it? The next day we see the next day. Um, oh, we see a little scene with Ben and one of Glory's minions. We don't see Glory at all this episode, but we see Ben in the car with one of Glory's minions and the minion guy is like, why are you doing this? Are you trying to call attention to us? Blah, blah, blah. And Ben says, I needed to clean up Glory's mess. So at this point, you know, if we didn't know, which of course we do, because this is not a spoiler-free podcast, we know that Ben is Glory and Glory is Ben. But at this point, we're just like, is there some kind of connection between Ben and Glory? <laughs> um. So yeah. So now we know that Ben has something to do with glory, but we don't know what, um, at this point. And we find out that he was the one that summoned the Queller demon. So now we know that Ben can't be trusted, that he's in some kind of cahoots with glory. That's all we know. Um, if we didn't know, that's all we'd know. You know what I'm saying? You know, if we didn't know, that's all we'd know, you know? Um, okay. So then pretty much the last scene is Joyce and Buffy are talking. It's right before it's the morning of her brain surgery and they're talking and Joyce says, she's pretty lucid at this point. She says to Buffy, like at some point the other day, I don't know, all the days are running together. I know I've been pretty out of it. Please, please tell me if, if I'm, being crazy. And she says, I have, I had this moment of knowledge. And then she just says, Dawn's not mine, is she? And Buffy takes a second, but then she decides to tell her the truth. And she says, no. Which I think is kind of uncharacteristic of Buffy, but I'm proud of her because Normally she would have just, she would have been like, I don't know what you're talking about, you know, but considering that Joyce is about to go in for brain surgery, things could go wrong. You know, she deserves to know the truth. And if this is the last chance that she has to know the truth, um, 
I, I liked this scene because I think other shows would have, I had kind of forgotten this scene and other shows would have made, would have constantly referred back to this scene and kind of like hammered it into your skull, but they didn't. So I kind of like it. It kind of makes it more special that that is not what they did because it makes sense for some of the motivations of Buffy's character, like why she did what she did at the end of the season why she sacrificed herself to save Dawn. Like, not only because it's something that she probably would have done in this scenario, but also because of this moment. And they don't hearken back to that. They could easily, like, most lesser shows would have, like, flashed back to this moment over and over and over just to make sure you knew the connection between that moment and the sacrifice that Buffy makes at the end of the season. But they don't, and I completely missed this. So it's like, I'm being rewarded with the fact that I didn't miss it this time, you know? So anyway, so she says, she's not mine, is she? And Buffy says, no. She says, but she does belong to us. And Buffy says, yes. And she says, and she's important, like to the world. And Buffy's like, yes. Um, so just really nice, insightful, insightful Joyce moments. You know, this is, I mean, the fact that Joyce was never really a good mom until this season, like whatever, but she really is being a good mom right now, you know? Anyway, maybe she just needed Dawn. <laughs> she needed Dawn to be a good mom. And if that's the way I'm supposed to think about it, then fine. Joyce became a good mom when Dawn was inserted into their brains, apparently. So um, then she says to Buffy something like, you have to protect her no matter what. You have to love her like I love you, no matter what happens. You know, she's basically saying, no matter what happens to me right now, um, you have to take care of her. You have to promise that you will take care of her. And Buffy promises to take care of her. So like her resolve for protecting Dawn, even though it was already there, is strengthened tenfold. And I think the fact that, I mean, if Joyce didn't die later in the season, which we have another like six episodes until that happens. So get ready. But if she didn't die, would Buffy have sacrificed herself? Because she must have felt like she owed it to her mom, you know? And I think that's so, that's such a cool plot point, not only because it's there, but because again, it wasn't, it's not hammered into us. Like, Buffy never even refers to it. She doesn't ever say, I have to do this for mom or anything like that. I don't think. Maybe she does. And maybe I just never made the connection because I'm not that smart. I don't know. We'll see. I just thought that was cool. That was a good moment. And I just like the way it was handled. You know, I like, I just like the, she's not mine, is she? But she belongs to us and she's important. And it's just something about that. I guess it's kind of like, it feels like a cho chosen family moment, you know, like it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you are actually related to me. It doesn't matter where you come from. It matters that you're here now, you know, it's just, it's kind of sweet. I don't know. I've never really had that sort of like emotional connection to just like, the outsiderness of Dawn, the outsiderness of her 
and the fact that she is fully accepted by her not mom and not sister. She's fully accepted. And it doesn't really make sense in the context of the show, like overall, but the, but I like it. I just like it. Okay. Anyway. Um, yeah, and that's it. Like, that's just the last conversation before we see Joyce getting kind of like wheeled towards the operating room and then the episode ends and that's it. Okay, let's do our ratings for the episode then. Outfit of the episode. Um, I don't remember any particular outfit. Um, I think that Tara and Willow looked pretty cozy whenever they were like, looking at the sky. They were both wearing like cozy sweaters. I don't remember anything really standing out. I don't even remember what Anya was wearing. We didn't get to see Glory. Glory's going to win outfit of the episode a lot of the time, but we didn't get to see her. Um, yeah, so I, I hope, <laughs> let's give it to Buffy. Buffy is wearing a flannel shirt throughout a lot of this episode. Um, I think that's really like the only outfit she's wearing the whole episode. And it was just kind of like, I don't know, like she, she had some sort of undershirt on. I don't remember what pants or shoes or anything like that, but she was wearing um, a flannel shirt and it did look good on her. Like we don't get to see Buffy in flannel very often, but it was a good, it was a good print. It was a good one. Um object of the episode. Um, y'all know I like to pick an object out of every episode that I could keep for myself for all time. Well, hmm. maybe the vending machine, <laughs> just because I think if like in some like fantasy future where I have absolutely everything in my life that I could ever possibly want. I would probably want to have some sort of den lounge bar area, you know, somewhere that was like partially underground or something, you know, something real like 50s, 60s, lots of wood paneling. And in that scenario, if there were enough space, I'd love to have a vending machine that looks like the vending machine from the high school that we see in this episode. But I don't know that you didn't need coins or whatever. You would just, you know, I would just get it stocked every once in a while. It would have cheesy things in it like Tang or something or Fruitopia. I don't know. <laughs> Remember Fruitopia? Um, anyway. Yeah, the vending machine. That's my object. Sure. Um, quote of the episode, like I said, don't you be that kind of barn owl or killer snot monster from outer space. But that's not really a quote. It's just a title. I want to have... Okay, here's an object of the episode. <laughs> I want like a cheesy B-movie mock-up poster or t-shirt or sweatshirt poster poster would probably be the best option that is killer snot monster from outer space 
<laughs> Somebody make that happen. I want it. Okay. Um, MVP of the episode. Um, Riley didn't end up actually helping, did he? Like, even though it was cool that he called his guys in and, like, they had all their sciency talk, they didn't actually end up helping anything. At all. They were too late for the guys in the hospital that got killed, and they were almost too late. Buffy had already killed the Quiller Demon when they got to her house. So they didn't actually help. I was going to give it to Riley for a second, but of course I'm not going to give it to Riley because he's cheating on Buffy right now with vampires and it's weird. And I can't give it to Spike because he's being creepy hanging out in her basement. Um, let's give it to Willow. You know, like in all actuality, it was Buffy because she took care of her mom. She had some comforting conversations, both and the way that she was reacting to her mom, like when she would snap into those moments of like saying some crazy shit and then she would snap back out of it again. The way that she handled that was really graceful. Like in all actuality, Buffy is the MVP, but I don't like to give MVP to Buffy because she's the queen of the show. The show is named after her. So I'm going to give it to Willow this episode because she killed two of those vampires and she wasn't annoying in this episode at all. So I'm going to give it to Willow. And she brought terrible, cheesy presents to um, everybody in the hospital. Um, and she did consult Riley. You know, like she didn't have to do that, but she did. And they were able to share some information. So that's good. Um, although she really just shared information with him. He didn't actually, yeah, like, like, like I said, he didn't really help that much. My candles are growing out, guys. I need to get bigger candles because I'm just always using these tea light candles and I'm almost out and I need like substantial candles, you know? You know what I'm saying. I'm losing my light. So I gotta, I gotta finish this up. Okay. So yeah, giving it to Willow. Object outfit MVP quote. So five by five. How do I rate this episode out of five? Um... I think it was pretty enjoyable overall. It was pretty solid. So let's say three and a half. Okay. So three and a half out of five. That's all I got for this week. And I may not be back until when was it again? December 19th. It is possible that I won't be back to talk to you in this specific format until December 19th. But like I said, come check out my YouTube channel under Mixtress Ray. Come check out my radio show, Mixtress Radio. Um, and I will definitely be doing things in those two formats at the very least. <laughs> or if you want to become a patron, um, I do have my full moon. I do full moon tarot readings for my patrons every month. So that's going to be in the next couple of days is the next full moon. That'll go up for my patrons. So yeah, links to all those things are always in the show notes and I will see you when I see you. Bye.